Tom Brady has lived an epic life, has he not? He's 45 years old, and he's still starting in the NFL. We'll see what he decides for next year. But he's 6'4", he's 225, he's in great physical shape, not to mention good-looking. He's modeled for Stetson Cologne, and he was married to a model. Now think about this. He has seven Super Bowl rings. That's a record. And he holds the records for virtually anything a quarterback can do. Uh, so I'll just run a few. Most passing yards, most completions, most touchdown passes, most wins, most Super Bowl MVP awards. In his first 21 years of playing, he never had a losing season. Everyone knows his name. President Bush invited him one time to be there at the State of the Union address. He has guest starred on Saturday Night Live. He's voiced his own character in The Simpsons. He's endorsed Aston Martin and a long, long list of other things, which has helped bring his net worth to 250 million. And whenever he decides to retire, Fox Sports will pay him $375 million over 10 years to be their lead color commentator. Now, in recent years, to be fair, Tom's had some challenges, a knee injury, a losing season, uh, a divorce, and together he and his ex uh, lost $45 million when FTX, the crypto exchange, melted down. So there are finally a couple of dents in his Aston Martin life. But still, millions of people all over the world would trade places with Tom Brady. He's a huge success. He's a guaranteed first ballot in the Hall of Fame. He can walk into any restaurant, doesn't matter how busy he is. He's got a table waiting. And most people look at all that and go, man, how lucky can you get, right? Now, I have not aspired to Tom's particular life. Maybe I just knew I didn't have it, but sometimes <laughs> I look at someone else's life and I go, man, that would be nice. That would be awesome. Uh, do, you, do you do that too? Okay. Uh, you know, Karen and I really enjoy traveling, but right now, given health conditions, that's not very easy for us. And not long ago in my Facebook feed, uh, uh, so, uh, somebody had posted a photo, uh, that it's a couple our age, and they were leaning against the railing of a cruise ship. And behind them was this shimmering blue water, and they had taken it right at sunset. And so the, the sun is shimmering off the water, really fantastic. And they look all bronzed from having laid out on the deck in the sun. And, and underneath, there was no words. It just was hashtag blessed. And I was hashtag envious. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact is, every one of us wants to be blessed. And that's good. That's normal. We are wired to want blessing. And it spills out of us sometimes whenever we feel or we say, oh, that would be awesome. That must be nice. How lucky can you get? So knowing that this desire to be blessed runs very deeply within us, Jesus starts his first major sermon talking about who is blessed. Very directly, very specifically. And it's as if he picks up this trophy and he goes and says, those who mourn, you're unhappy? Blessed, congratulations. How about you who are meek and overlooked? Congratulations. 
Blessed are you. People hate you because you follow me. Congratulations. Blessed are you. Thank you, Deacon Brad, for use of your <laughs> visual aid. <laughs> it's as if what Jesus is doing here is he's keeping the hashtag blessed, but he's changing the photo. He's not putting a photo of the bronze couple on the cruise. In the photo is, say, the picture of somebody who's just learned they've lost their job because they wouldn't go along to get along, and they were told, you're just too honest. Now, this does not make sense. Why would Jesus give a big congratulations to someone who's in a, a difficult condition or one that nobody gives trophies to? Well, friends, the answer to that really matters. It matters for all of us here tonight because whatever we see as blessed is what we will naturally go toward. We will naturally aspire and move toward whatever we think is blessed. And it's also critical that we understand blessing because we will all find ourselves at times in a place where we feel distinctly unblessed one we did not choose and we do not like. Anybody in one of those right now? Yay. Well, in these sayings, Jesus offers us a, a way that is very different from anything that other folks are telling us. So tonight, whether you are longing to be blessed or you feel unblessed, we need to know what Jesus is saying. So let me lay out for you just as clearly as I can what I believe Jesus means when he says who is blessed. Matthew 5, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So picture hot Mediterranean sun. People are draped. You know, Jesus is up at the top, kind of amphitheater type thing, and everybody's cascading, draped down the mountain. There's no room to move. It's kind of like at Ravinia. And everybody's trying to hear. And you, you hear, he starts his sermon and you hear, blessed, blessed, blessed. It's like a song or a chorus. And he says it nine times. Now, in my own life and in talking with other Christians, I've discovered that many of us hear Jesus' blessings like this. If you do X, you will be blessed with Y. If you'll just do X, you'll be blessed with Y. But Jesus does not say, if you do X, you will be blessed with Y. He doesn't phrase them, his sayings of blessing, as conditions. Uh, he, he, he phrases them as congratulations to people who already are blessed. So it's, it doesn't feel like he's handing you a syllabus and saying, if you will do all the assignments, you will get through this course. It's more like he's handing you a diploma and saying, congratulations, you are blessed. Now, I wish we had enough time to go through all nine of the sayings. We don't tonight for that. But I, what I did was I chose three that I think are representative and that also maybe there's some fuzziness in our minds about what they really mean. And through those, we'll get a feel for all of them. All right, look at verse 3. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit. This is not how the world works. We all know that to do well in life, it really helps to be confident, assured, or at least fake it. Courses on leadership and books on leadership talk a lot about this. As the saying goes, always be confident, sometimes be right. (laughs) And the thing to be most confident about, as almost every movie and every commercial says, is your truth. The truth is within you, and so live out your truth, no matter what people say. Which might explain why incidents of rage are way up on airplanes and on highways and at school board meetings. Because every person's living out their truth, no matter what other people think. But Jesus announces God's blessing on the opposite. (laughs) He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And by poor in spirit, he's quoting Isaiah. This is the person to whom I will look, the one who is poor and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The person who's contrite, trembling, the person who knows they need God and who will do what God asks them to do. As as Margaret Silf translated this, I bless the poverty in your heart which knows its own emptiness because that gives me space to grow my kingdom there. Now, do you like feeling empty? I don't. I don't like being the one who needs help. I don't like facing the fact that sometimes my truth is awfully self-absorbed and that actually I really need God. And so Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Congratulations to you. You don't have to wait for the kingdom of God to come. For you, it's already here. All right, Jesus moves on. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This again, I didn't learn this growing up. Americans love comedy. I love comedy. One of the nicest things you can ever say about another person in our culture is, what a great sense of humor they have, right? And so the saying that I heard was, laugh and the world laughs with you, cry and you'll cry alone. I didn't want to be alone. So I, I just didn't really let myself feel too much sadness. That's how you get through this world. But Jesus announces the opposite. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Or as the First Nations translation puts it, creator's blessing rests on the ones who walk a trail of tears, which is quite remarkable if you've read about the trail of tears. For he will wipe the tears from their eyes and comfort them. Now, what are these mourners who are blessed mourning for? I think it could include a lot of things. It certainly includes their own pain and suffering. It includes the pain of this world. But surely, I take a big meaning of Jesus' phrase here. Blessed are those who have not lost their capacity to grieve with others, to mourn with them. Some of you know Jin Cho, an Anglican priest out in California, who 
wrote recently online how he was feeling after this Monterey Park shooting. The massacre there, and he says, my emotions and thoughts have been all over the place. First, grief, sadness, anger, the meaningless, violent death of 10 people. 10 more shot. Why and how does this happen? And his second feeling, he says, is numbness and resignation. He says, I don't know about you, but I no longer feel news like this as I should because we hear it all the time. And Jesus announces, blessed are those who don't give in to numbing, which they want to because that feels like such a relief, but who are still willing to enter into the pain of another human being and to feel that with them. A friend of Anne Frank was asked after the war, what was she like in the death camp? And the friend said, her tears never ran dry. And Jesus says, those people are blessed. Okay, a third and final blessing where I think we need some explanation. Verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What does righteousness mean? I've heard preached, and I've thought myself, it means basically living an upright life. Or you may have heard that it means accepting Christ and his righteousness and not relying on your own. Now, both of those things are very good, of course. But the root meaning of the word righteousness in our Bible is really all about relationships. Relationships. So let me explain how this works. Whenever you or I are in a relationship with someone, they have a certain claim on us. So, for example, a friend rightly expects, when I got to move, you will help me pack boxes. Right? Because that's what friends do. And so you'll be there when I need to move. A spouse rightly expects, you will not cheat on me. A child has a claim on a parent. You will protect me and make sure I get fed. And, as you know, in many teachings, Jesus extends the list and adds the people we really don't like that much because they're not like us and they're messy. And, uh, oh, but that's our neighbor. And so they also have a claim on us, and that claim goes like this. Treat me with dignity. Help me the way you would want to be helped. So righteousness, then, means honoring those relationships in my life that have a legitimate claim on me. So I treat my children in an appropriate and protective way. I treat my spouse with fidelity. You know what I mean? I treat my friend by showing up for them when they need. I have need as much as I can. And this is why sometimes this verse gets translated justice. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice because when we honor someone's rightful claim to dignity, we do justice. They're, they're virtually the same thing. Now notice though, Jesus does not say to us, blessed are those who do this perfectly. He says, blessed are those who hunger for this. The ones who keep moving toward this like a hungry person keeps circling the kitchen and gets into the fridge. It's the people who don't hunger for this who always end up perpetuating injustice in some way. So Jesus announces this amazing congratulations for those who hunger for righteousness. You'll be filled. 
deeply satisfied by God himself. So often in life, we and other people go for fillings that turn out to only leave us hungrier. And so Jesus says, congratulations, how about instead of fillings that will leave you hungry, how about a hunger that will leave you filled? So now let's zoom out and kind of look at all nine blessings there. What do you and I do with these? Uh, I've got three pastoral suggestions for you and see which of these might be helpful for you. The first one is, let them do a judo flip on my assumptions and longings. Let them do a judo flip on those. The big reason why we find these sayings hard to understand, and Christians have spent a l- spilled a lot of ink on these, is fundamentally, I, in my view, is that typically what we really want and admire and wish we had, like, say, being noticed, is not at all what Jesus mentions here. It's not on his list. And so many of the things that he rewards is the kind of life we would recoil from. Mourning and hunger and being lied about. That's what gets blessed. So we're just, we can't make sense of that. Now, that said, so yeah, we keep going on with our own definitions. Blessed is the person, say, who's better looking. Blessed is the person who has a better career track. Blessed is the person who just got published. Blessed is the person who has a spouse or has a better spouse than mine or is not encumbered by a spouse, whatever is the blessing for you, who, or who has children or who has believing children or who has grandchildren. But whenever we use our own definition of blessed, here's what happens. It always feeds in us a lot of dissatisfaction, a lot of envy, a lot of resentment, a lot of feeling like we didn't get our due. And Jesus comes along with radical blessings and frees us from longing for something that will not satisfy us to the full as we think it will. When we surrender to Jesus' definition of blessed, it's like we end up flipped, judo flipped upside down by his statements, and we're lying on the mat, but we're finally looking up. You have to soak in these for a while. You have to let them rework you. All right, pastoral suggestion number two. Feel the deep comfort that Jesus takes my suffering seriously, and yet he doesn't leave me there. He takes my suffering seriously. Jesus speaks directly to people who know what it is to be poor and poor in spirit, who are longing who are hungry and hungry for righteousness, who know weakness and incompleteness, and many they're living in a world where they're oppressed. And Jesus is never naive or Pollyanna about any of that. He knows these are people who are overlooked and that when we follow him, we'll be rejected and misunderstood, maybe even by other believers. But while we're focusing on our condition, Jesus honors that condition but he's moving our focus to the congratulations, the celebration, the inexhaustible favor of God. The suffering is real, but the blessing is real. The suffering is real, but the joy is real. And that is a mystery of the gospel that 
I can't explain other than that, but I can say it's real, and when you experience, you know it. Years ago, uh, when Karen was three-plus months pregnant, we were super excited, looking forward to this new baby, and one day, and I, it kind of comes back to me as this week because it was December, it was cold, um, she began feeling pain, and so we thought it might be something serious, so we called the doctor and got in for an emergency check that day. Well, they ran a bunch of tests and came back in and said, I'm really sorry, but this pregnancy is, is not viable. It's lost. And then they sent us across the street to Del Nor Hospital, and they ordered a DNC, and following the procedure, they uh, wheeled Karen out into a recovery corral. This was the old Del Nor. And it had a big, bright, pull-around curtain um, to try to put a, like a smiley face on the trauma. And on the other side of the curtain, nine people from some other family had crowded in there and were talking like really loud. Um, and we just felt really alone. In just a few months, we were supposed to be in that hospital holding a baby. And so the nurse came in and said to Karen, we need to get your blood sugar up. So they brought her a packet of saltines and a, uh, a styrofoam cup of OJ. So to help her get it down, I opened up the saltine cracker and broke it in her and gave her a little piece. And then I took the cup of OJ and tipped it to her lips so she could get a drink. And in those tiny familiar actions, it's like Jesus drew near right there in the corral. He was right with us. In fact, we both stopped talking because we could sense it. It was like we were having Eucharist right there in the corral. What we felt is actually just the promise of Jesus Christ. He says, blessed are those who mourn. I will comfort you. You will find comfort in me. All right, third and last pastoral suggestion. Worship Jesus as the one who is all these things. You know, if I'm suffering and somebody says to me, you know, really, it's a good thing because it's, it's going to work out for the best and you're going to become a better person through this and all this, I'm going to be going, not listening, la, 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 la. That sounds glib, not helping me. So why is it then when Jesus says, blessed are you who mourn or suffer or whatever, that it never comes across that way? The reason is, he's living it. He's living it, and more than we. This is his life. The mourning, the hunger, the persecution, the purity of heart, the trying to be a peacemaker. Many of the greatest artists, as you know, some of their best work are their self-portraits. Rembrandt, Van Gogh, I think Van Gogh excelled at the self-portrait. Um, Norman Rockwell's got a really fun self-portrait. And it, one of the things I love about them is it reveals so much about who they really are. Well, at, in these nine blessings, as Henry Nouwen first put me onto, Jesus is painting his self-portrait. Poor in spirit, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking wick he will not snuff out. 
mourning. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Meek. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Hungry for righteousness. He picks up a whip to get price gougers away from people who should be praying and says, zeal for your house has consumed me. Merciful, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Pure in heart, which of you can convict me of sin? Peacemaker, he is our peace, breaking down the wall of hostility. Persecuted, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. In these blessings, friends, Jesus says to you and to me, this is me. This is how I live my life. With all of that suffering and with all of that favor, blessing, and affirmation of God, come with me and all of it will be yours.